News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. And Bill, we we had the 4th of July this Tuesday. It, it always throws me off when there's a holiday in the middle of the week. I always The, the second half of the week always feels sluggish. Yeah, to me. A, absolutely. I hope hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. We, we certainly did. And in fact, my office, we... We not only took off uh, Tuesday the 4th, but we also uh, took off Monday the 3rd so that our our staff has worked really hard and uh, they deserved a little extra time. So we, we made it a an extra long holiday. Uh, of course, the, the 4th of July is such a special time for a lot of folks. It's uh, a lot of times um, families can get together cause, uh, and, and, and do. Um, and while while we went to the beach, one of my favorite uh, times for the Fourth of July is is actually up uh, where, uh, at least as a child, I uh, was had the um, pleasure of growing up in the summertime in Montreat, which is uh, near Asheville, outside of Black Mountain. And and if you if anyone ever wants to plan an old fashioned Fourth of July with with uh, parades and and um, fun things to do, uh, and uh, uh, with square dancing and just you know just a, a wonderful wholesome time, the place to be is in Montreat. There's no other place like it on the Fourth of July. So it's um, it's really special, particularly for for children. And and um, I have lots of memories of of that for sure. And and. Um, so anyway, but I, I don't I don't mean to uh, regress as far as that goes. Uh, Fourth of July is an important time, and it, you know it's a celebration of our independence. And you know one thing about us as Americans, we like our independence. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, sometimes I think what's going on in uh, in Congress uh, is limiting our. Our independence as Americans. Every time you go to the airports, you feel like a criminal, and it's it's unfortunate that uh, so so much of what we have enjoyed uh, in terms of, of freedom and not being spied on, if you will, is is being limited at this point. And that, I hate that for us as Americans. But you know, it's uh, it's the way it is, I guess, and. I, I wish we could wave a wand, but I've, I've got too much libertarian in me myself <laughs> as it relates that uh, it's the kind of thing that I just I just don't like. But but the bottom line is, in fact, the focus in uh, my planning for clients is how do we keep you independent? How do we keep you in control? of your assets uh, now and in the future just as long as possible. You know, one of the things, uh, there are a lot of folks out there that think the only way that you can get um, care or assistance, uh, particularly from the government, uh, if you have a long-term care crisis, is by doing some kind of irrevocable trust five or more years in advance of needing it or giving it your property away to your children and Thing. And, and uh, you know, from uh, that's just I, I'm just against those kind of things. Good pl- if you have good planning, if you have good documents in advance of a need, then generally you can do most of the planning that's needed and appropriate. At, you know, 
towards when you really need it and have to have it rather than well in advance. And a lot of folks think that you can't do that, and it's just they're just wrong. You can do good planning, and you can stay in control, and you can do the kind of things that are, are important for yourself and your, and your family. But anyway, this, uh, I'm, I'm getting off the subject, and I apologize. And so I wanted to talk about um, a snoozy subject. And in fact, if the, our show was earlier in the morning, I, I could just imagine people hitting the snooze button and going back to sleep. <laughs> but uh, we're late enough in the morning where I think most of us are up and about and uh, uh, we're, we're uh, ready to learn something. So uh, I wanted to talk, uh, because there's so much confusion about um, m- medical um, documents that uh, you can get as a part and should have as a part of your legal arsenal, if you will. And so the, the, the most important medical document that any person can have is a health care power of attorney. And it serves the, a really important purpose, and that is it allows you, the health care power of attorney allows you to appoint the person that you need and can trust to make healthcare decisions for you at that horrible time when you cannot make those decisions for yourself or communicate to your physician what you want for yourself. So the healthcare power of attorney is your ability to appoint that person because if you haven't appointed a person, if you don't have a healthcare power of attorney, then you don't have a person that can make those decisions, and that can limit what the doctor can do or not do. And so that can spell real trouble. And there's, it's not necessarily just about growing old and you know being in la-la land. I mean, folks need health care powers of attorney for lots of different reasons. It may be that you're going into surgery and being put to sleep, or it may be that you've been injured and you're, you have a lot of pain medication uh, and, and you're delirious, and so you really don't have the ability to understand what's going on or to communicate what you would like. So do you have a trusted person like a spouse or a child that you can depend upon and talk to about your concerns so that they can make the decisions that's consistent with what you would want. Well, the power of attorney is your uh, opportunity to do that. You know, and the thing about it is if you go to the hospital or to a surgical clinic or even to the doctor's office, guess what? They're going to, the first thing they're going to ask is, do you have a power of attorney? Do you have this? Do you have that? And one of the things they're asking for is, okay, who's your agent if you can't tell us what to do? And that's a really important thing to have. Um, so uh, now, there's uh, that's a pretty easy concept. It's something that everybody should have. Uh, no one should be out there without uh, someone who can speak for them as their agent. But there's a whole lot more confusion over what's called in North Carolina your advance directive for natural death. Okay. Um, in most states, it's actually called a living will, mm-hmm. but it's it's in essence it's a directive to uh, just in case uh, you're in a horrible dire circumstance. And the question is, 
should you be on life support or would you rather direct uh, the hospital to take you off life support? And that's what an advanced directive is. Uh, it's basically not saying let me die early. It's basically saying don't keep me alive artificially uh, on a machine if I would otherwise die naturally. You know, it's an advanced directive for natural death, not artificial keep me alive. So, um, but one of the things that folks don't realize, and there's a very huge differences between this legal document and medical orders that people get into thinking it's the same thing. And that's why I wanted to make this distinction because the advanced directive for natural death is a very, very limited document. Um, in, in other words, uh, n- number one, it never applies no matter how how dire your circumstances, if you can still tell your doctor what you want for yourself. In other words, if you can still communicate, you're still personally in charge. The paper you've signed makes no difference whatsoever, okay? It's not even looked at if you can tell them what to do. But, uh, and of course, you've signed the general durable power of attorney, so your agent can proactively make a decision if you can't communicate to take you off life support. So the advanced directive, the basic document, is so you're taking the pressure off your loved ones in terms of having to proactively make a decision to take you off life support, which can be very, very difficult uh, for a spouse of many years. It can be very difficult for children, too. It's a really tough thing to do if, if that's the only option and the doctor's coming to you and say, make a decision. And Especially if there's multiple children, you could get into some very, well, very that, bad Well, that arguments. too, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And so an advanced directive helps a great deal. But the thing I want to emphasize is that it's still an extraordinarily limited document. And it's not a directive to your children or your spouse. It's actually a directive to the doctor in the hospital. Now, the doctor in the hospital is no longer your primary care physician. I can see a lot of folks out there, yeah, uh, laughing about that. But it's a hospitalist. It's somebody who's hired by the hospital and works for the hospital who's there. um, And that's the doctor you have to... To, to work with as it relates uh, to this kind of directive. So first of all, if you can communicate, it doesn't apply. If you don't need life support, it doesn't apply. And then if you need life support, it only applies in three extraordinarily dire circumstances, circumstances where there's no hope. And I, I know we have to take a break. So when we come back, I want to talk about those dire circumstances and, and when it applies and how this is different from medical orders. We will get into that and we'll also be talking about some upcoming seminars. You're going to want to stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander here on News Radio 680 WPTF.
News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more about him online at WGALaw.com. And we're having an interesting discussion today. We're talking about health care documents. We've addressed uh, health care power of attorney, and we were just discussing uh, Bill, the living will. And there's uh, you, we've mentioned that this is a sort of a limited document, and there's only certain aspects that apply it, to this. It is. And so if you can't communicate, you need life support. It then only applies in three extraordinarily hopeless situations. So what are the three? Well, the first one is if you have an incurable or irreversible condition that will result in your death within a relatively short period of time. So the first instance, you're basically on your deathbed. Your doctors cannot do anything to uh, make you improve. Uh, you will die. Uh, life support might keep you alive a few hours or a few days, maybe even a week or two longer. But the bottom line is um, any effort is futile. So it's, you know, uh, first one is hopeless. Mm-hmm. Second circumstance is the one I consider the grayest of the three uh, because not, you know, with medicine it's rarely black and white. Uh, sometimes, but rarely. But the, the second circumstance is if you're unconscious and your doctors believe to a high degree of medical certainty that you will never, ever regain consciousness. Now, why do I say that's great? Because most people are very comfortable with that, and I'm comfortable with it, but I, I recognize it as great because there's really no such thing as medical certainty. High degree of medical certainty? Absolutely. But all of us should recognize that miracles do happen. Um, And if it's ever happened in your family, you're a huge believer of that. Mm -hmm. And it has happened in my family. My my brother, who uh, is is a wonderful man, um, was run over. Uh, after college, uh, traumatic brain injury. But the bottom line is, he, when he was injured, every bone in his body was broken. His head was as big as a basketball in intensive care. The doctors didn't do a very good job of putting his body back together because he was broken up. And they basically said he has no chance. But they didn't know my brother. Mm-hmm. And six and a half weeks later, he woke up out of a coma. Uh, never expected. Uh, the doctors actually wanted my parents to agree to take him off life support. And they, they not only said no, they, well, I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't get us fined by the FCC. <laughs> so, but the bottom line, and he's still alive today, um, doing okay. Um, you know, he had, he had serious issues from that, but I'm just, uh, saying that those are the kind of miracles that can and do occur every day. So, uh, you know, recognizing that it is a dire circumstance in most instances, in almost every instance, but the almost is the operative word. So uh, I actually, in the documents that I do, I, I think I have a relative cure for that, um, and, and I think so. But okay, so that's the second dire circumstance. And the third is if you suffer from advanced or severe dementia. Now, that's where your long-term memory is gone, and you don't would not know your own name if asked. Uh, you wouldn't know your spouse. You wouldn't know your children or grandchildren. 
it's basically all gone inside your head. Uh, or it can be a substantial loss of cognitive ability, which, of course, uh, the dementia is as well. But it's, that's a persistent vegetative state. And there's no coming back from that. Your doctors cannot make you better. And that's part of it. In other words, there's no cure. There's no, in other words, you're stuck in that uh, vegetable uh, status. And life support is to basically keeping your body alive, but there's nothing going on in your head except enough uh, to make your heart beat and your lungs breathe, um, uh, at least uh, to some degree. So those are the three dire circumstances, obviously all horrible, hopeless situations. Uh, the, the other thing that um, it does typically, if it's if your documents are right, is there'll be a second directive in there um, to, to, to direct your doctor to keep you comfortable no matter what, clean, comfortable, and free of pain. That's pretty important to people. I've never had any client say, take that out. I don't like that. Uh, so, you know, that's that's pretty important to folks. But my cure for the miracles, or at least to the degree it makes me feel a whole lot better, is and I'm in a minority as it relates to uh, attorneys uh, because most attorneys do not give your family the ability to override the directive. I always do that, uh, and I feel very strongly about it unless my client specifically directs me to take it out, uh, which does happen occasionally, about one out of every 100,000 people <laughs> I want me to take it out, but, but, but the thing about it is, is that the reason I feel strongly about it is because there's a, a huge difference in giving your family uh, the proactive ability to keep you alive, rather than the burden of a proactive requirement to to let you go. And the 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 reason that I pretty much insist on this is because. Medical care has changed so much in the last number of years. You know, years ago, if you went to the hospital, you would probably see your primary care physician at the hospital. It would be doctors who who would know who you are. They would know your background. They would know your medical history. They would have it all, and they would have a perspective on, on you. Whereas today, you go and you see a doctor you've never seen before. It's somebody who works for the hospital. And truthfully, you don't know going in whether the person you see that day will be someone who's very experienced, highly credentialed, a wonderful doctor that has great credibility with you and the family, or it could be somebody they just hired that has very little credibility or experience, and and they, they you know they don't have the credibility to make you comfortable that they know what they're doing. So. You know, being able to veto the directive gives the family the opportunity to get a second opinion uh, and, and, and simply to say not yet. Uh, you know, it may be that, that um, there is some hope. Now, I'm not in favor of using that in a hopeless situation, but I'd much, I, I also believe in miracles. So it's the kind of thing where... Uh, there are times when I think it's appropriate for families to intervene and say, no, it's, it's, this is not the time yet. Uh, and so that's, that's 
the way we prepare our documents in my office, and I think that's uh, a good way to do it. But you have to understand that a, a lot of attorneys use the old forms that don't do that, if you will. Um, uh, and it's important to me to have a, a document, the, your advance directive, be separate from your health care power of attorney. It's easier for you to understand. It's also easier for the hospital to know that you've got, uh, you've got that. The old documents in North Carolina had the advance directive language inside the health care power of attorney. So I, I just I think the better practice is to have two separate documents. So that's... Um, uh, that's what I think is important as it relates to that. Now, the other healthcare document that's critical uh, in terms of basic foundational documents is a medical release that complies with the federal HIPAA laws. I mean, people have heard the word HIPAA. It basically limits a doctor's ability to communicate with anyone other than you about your medical history or your condition or those kind of things. And this is where... You need to have this release uh, at least for your agents, you know, the person that you've appointed as your health care power of attorney. And it's really good to broaden that out to other family members who would be interested in your care so that the doctors can talk to them uh, in the event that, um, you know, you're in surgery or something along those lines. So that HIPAA document is really important too. And I find that a lot of folks don't have that medical release. But you know, the folks who do good estate planning or will always have a medical release as part of their their documents. And we have the HIPAA language in all of our, not just the separate document, but it's in our healthcare power of attorney as well as our general power of attorney. So that's an important thing too. But then there's a lot of confusion between a living will or advanced direct for natural death and medical orders. And so that's what I really wanted to focus on a little bit because there is one medical order that is really abused often, particularly among seniors. And it's commonly known as a DNR, which is a do not resuscitate order. Okay, now that is not a legal document. By law, the DNR is not supposed to be executed except after and with consultation of your primary care physician. Well, truthfully, I, I mean, just in terms of what I've seen, it's rare when the primary care physicians have been consulted before a DNR is actually executed. A DNR, do not resuscitate, is way beyond a uh, advanced direct for natural mm-hmm. death. This is basically saying if I fall over in convulsions and stop breathing, don't bring me back to life. Right. And uh, truthfully, it, it upsets me because uh, a DNR is only appropriate if you don't have anything else to live for. In other words, if you are ready to die, you're ready to meet your maker, then a DNR is appropriate. But just because you're old... And there's a, you know, who knows what that means. But, uh, but the bottom line is, uh, okay, just, you, the fact that you don't want to be kept alive as a vegetable, you know, that's what the advanced directive is for. The, a DNR is 10 times stronger than that. You're basically ter- telling the hospital to let you die. Now, why is, are they abused in the hospital? 
only to the degree that if you have executed a do not resuscitate order, not understanding what you're signing, then then it's abused. But uh, when my mother was uh, admitted to a nursing home, the DNR was a part of their package to be executed by the responsible party, if you will. And it made me mad because my mother, at the time she went into the nursing home, she didn't like the fact she was going into the nursing home. Everybody, nobody wants to have to go to a nursing home. But uh, she certainly wasn't ready to meet her maker. Now, truthfully, about a year and a half later, I signed you know, the documents for that. Uh, and that's when she went on hospice and those kind of things. But totally different circumstance as far as that goes. But the fact that it was part of the admission paperwork where a lot of folks would sign it, not understanding what they're signing. I mean, and there are a lot of folks that say, oh, if you're in a nursing home, then you don't have anything to live for. You might as well die. Well, the only reason it's part of that admission paperwork is because it reduces the liability potential for the nursing home. That's it. They don't you know, that way, in other words, if they don't resuscitate you when you've stopped breathing, and if you, you know, then they're not liable, you know. So obviously, it's in their best corporate interest to have the, you or the family sign a do not resuscitate order. It takes a lot of the responsibility off of them for your care. And so, you know, to me, that <clears throat> obviously makes me a little angry. And but I'm just simply saying that that it's abused. So no one that has something to live for, you know, who's not ready to die, not ready to meet his maker or her maker, should never ever sign a DNR. Now, that's gotten me to another subject, and I know you're ready to take a break, so I'm gonna let us do that, and then when we come back, I wanna move just a little bit in, in terms of if you have to go into an assisted living facility or nursing home, the documents that have to be signed you know, for your admission. I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Well, we learned about one document that we don't want signed when you do that, <laughs> and we'll, we'll find out what the rest of them are in just a bit. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. I am Jason Kong, and we're having a discussion on medical orders and healthcare documents. But we're gonna we're gonna pump the brakes on that real quick, Bill, because we've got a seminar coming up that people need to be aware of. Uh, well, we do, and I would encourage anyone uh, that uh, needs information on long-term care or government assistance because there are very few of us who can actually afford to pay for any kind of long-term care needs. You know, it's not covered by our health insurance. It's not covered by Medicare. And a lot of folks are just absolutely shocked at the cost of care needs and the fact that they can't afford it. Um, when the crisis strikes them. Uh, and it and the thing about it is it's so common because 
Um, you know, half of us will have a, a long-term care crisis, and, and it's going to be really expensive. I, I um, look at a, health, at a long-term care crisis as being the equivalent of your home burning down to the ground with all the contents in it with no insurance whatsoever. That's, wow. that's the equivalent of a long-term care crisis for most families. Um, and so, yes, it's really expensive. It, it, it can impoverish a family. It can impoverish a spouse if you don't take action. So now our seminar is educational. It normally, uh, at least mine's last, lasts about two hours. I rarely get out in under two hours, which but it's because I enjoy it. It's educational. We're not going to feed anybody. Um, uh, but we will educate you on what's available out there, whether you can become uh, eligible, how to protect your assets when you become eligible. Uh, those are all really important issues to families. And we, we look at every benefit program out there and we give you as much information on each program that we possibly can. You know, there are a bunch of different Medicaid programs for whether it's home care or the PACE program or a nursing home facility program. Uh, And, of course, nursing care is the most expensive of all care out there, and and that really takes a whack at family finances. Uh, But Medicaid in North Carolina is a, a very compassionate, good program that's available to a lot of folks. So you need to know if that's available to you. Uh, there is a program for those who need special assistance. There are a lot of folks who can't qualify for it, but a lot who can. So you need to know if you can qualify for it or if your spouse can qualify for it or your parents can qualify for it. Same thing's true with veterans' benefits. Uh, there is something called the Veterans Pension, which is a reimbursement program for war period veterans and their spouses and widows or widowers uh, of those veterans. Uh, And, you know, we help a lot of families with those issues. So we're going to talk about all of those. Now, there is one thing that's different this time. Uh, We're adding a morning seminar. We haven't had a morning seminar in years. Uh, So we're going to do a 10 o'clock seminar uh, and then we'll do our normal 2 o'clock and our normal 6.30 seminar. So we'll do three seminars uh, on n- next Wednesday. So I would encourage folks to either go online at wgalaw.com or call us at 919-256-7000 and make a reservation. Uh, bring your spouse, uh, bring your parent. Uh, but this is the kind of information that's really important for folks to have uh, if you're in a crisis or if you're just simply worried about, you know, uh, uh, the fact that you may have a crisis in the future, getting the information is extreme, extremely helpful to families. Never had a single person say, I wish you hadn't come. Never. <laughs> uh, because we, we just try to give you as much information as we possibly can. And I'll tell you, Jason, what's really sad is there's no information out there that's accurate and complete that any family can pick up. You can't Google it. You can't find a book on it. It doesn't exist. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Medicaid, special assistance, Medicare, 
uh, veterans benefits. There's there's not a manual on what you have to do to uh, get uh, the benefit of these programs. So coming to the seminar can be uh, some of the best uh, time that any person can uh, can spend in, in relating to these issues. Yeah, you're not going to find a source that has done as much research and had as much as much experience in this as you have. So that's that's a vital tool. And now you don't have an excuse not to go because there's, there's a session in the morning as well. So literally all day these will be running. So uh, please register if you if you may have any need for this. This is just a great opportunity. Right. Uh, so anyway, we'd love f- folks to do that, and uh, I would encourage folks to sign up. Now, with that ha- having been said, that's my stick. So I, I want to go back to, okay, you have a loved one that is being admitted to the um, assisted living facility or the nursing home, and you go to the admissions director, and they have a pile of papers for you to sign. And generally, the patient is never the one that they want to sign these documents. And so I want to give folks an understanding that these documents, generally speaking, are um, they're a little funky. They're, they're not straightforward. And they use uh, they, they have a line for, for you to sign which says responsible party. And they know what they're doing. You know, this is the, these are corporations have good lawyers working for them, and this responsible party language does it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're the guarantor, but they want you to believe you're the guarantor, so that you're on the hook to pay them if the patient cannot pay them. Well, here and they're never going to tell you to do anything other than to sign your name so that mama can be admitted or that your spouse can be admitted. Um, now, here's the thing. Assuming that you've done what you should do and you have at least a general durable power of attorney, even a bad one will allow you to contract. So... You sign the patient's name. You do not sign your own name. You basically sign the patient's name and then by your name, okay, as, in other words, you're signing for them as the power of attorney, okay? They're not going to say, oh, no, you can't do that because it's the patient not the spouse, not the child, who is actually responsible for paying their bill. And this can be really important uh, later on if you run out of money or if you don't get the government assistance that we can help you with. You know, those, those kind of things. Um, and they're going to expect payment from you as, quote, the responsible party if uh, your parent or your spouse, if there's no money there. And so the bottom line is, is that signing those documents the right way, and that's signing the patient's name, and then assuming that you're the power of attorney, then you, you can sign your name as underneath the patient's name as the attorney in fact, uh, the person who has, who's been designated as the person who can sign these documents on behalf of the patient. 
that's the way to do it. And, you know, the thing about it is it's like a lot of things. They're going to throw a lot of papers at you that have to be signed, and you don't have, you know, you'd be there till the next day if you read all of them, and you're not going to do it. You're you're basically going to ask, okay, what's this do? And, and you might scan it, uh, and then you're going to sign it. Uh, because that's the only way that they're going to be admitted is if all these documents are signed. So make sure you sign it the correct or the best. What's in your best interest is to sign the patient's name and then use your authority as the power of attorney or attorney, in fact. So you put your name and put POA or AIF. means the same thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, AIF is technically correct, but everybody uses POA, so that's okay. It works. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's, that's uh, again, that's just another little thing that I think is really important for families to understand uh, in terms of if they have to endure, um, you know, uh, having to uh, have a loved one at a nursing home or even assisted living. Yeah, and that's important because I think you sort of hit on this at the beginning that your first instinct would be to sign your own name and to, you know, be on behalf of them, but that's that's not what you want to do, and that's that's good advice. Well, well, it, it's the kind of thing where can can they go after you and your assets uh, for mama's situation or your spouse's situation, and and you basically it's the way you can protect yourself. You know, I'm into asset protection. That's what this show is about, and this <laughs> is one of those little things uh, that can make a huge difference uh, to you uh, to make sure it's done done right. Absolutely. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander here on News Radio 680 WPTF. I am Jason Kong, and uh, we've had a fun show today. And, Bill, we need to remind everyone, seminars this coming Wednesday at Independence Village. We've got a a morning session available to uh, the listeners out there. So there's one at 10, one at 2 o'clock, and one at 6.30. And we do ask that you please register in advance. You can go to WGALaw.com or give the office a call. What's what's the number for the office? It's 256-7000. So I appreciate you reminding folks, Jason. I think it's something really helpful. We normally have a pretty good attendance, and that's why we need registration to make sure we have enough seats for everybody. Um, and it's, But it's a comfortable setting at Independence Village. It's easily found and located uh, right here in Raleigh, uh, not too far from Crabtree Valley Mall. Uh, and um, so we encourage folks to, to come. Uh, I'd also uh, mention our uh, little TV show on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock called Money Secrets on uh, the CW22. And so if you, if you like this show, I think you'll like Money Secrets as well. It's, uh, it's uh, helpful to you. But getting back into something that's uh, important other than our seminar, um, you know, we've been talking about legal documents. I want folks to understand that legal documents are totally different from medical orders. A DNR, a do not resuscitate, is a medical order. It's something that goes on your medical chart. Uh, it, it it used to be before computers, uh, it would be on the folder in red on the outside of the jacket at your hospital bed. 
uh, now it's uh, you know in red at the at uh, at the front of your computer record, <laughs> but they're really important. And of course, there are a couple other medical orders that can be really important too. One is uh, called a DNT. That's a do not transport, and that's even more. That's basically saying I not only want to die with a DNR, but I I don't want you to take me to the hospital. I want to die where I'm at, whether it's in my bed at home or or at the facility. Don't take me to the hospital is really what a DNT is. And then there's another one called a MOST or a MOLST, a Medical Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment, which is sort of like the living will, uh, although it's much more so. In other words, it goes into far more detail about um, uh, an ad, uh, in terms of your advanced directive. But again, it's not a legal document. It's a medical order that goes in your medical chart, and it basically uh, it's something that the doctors have to um, acknowledge and comply with. Uh, so those those are really important for folks to understand the difference between the two. They're really important. And for a lot of seniors, their medical orders will supersede any legal document that they've had. Yeah, that's important information to have. And uh, if, if you missed any of that information, uh, you can go online to WPTF.com and you can go to the Asset Protection section. Just look for Bill's Smiling Mug and you can uh, go back and listen to that as well. So, Bill, that's uh, that's some good stuff. Well, and I, and I, could, I, ju- I could just say that, that uh, with, when you're talking about legal documents, most retirees and those who've already retired truthfully don't have the right legal documents. Generally, their, their power of attorney is not adequate. They, they, may have, uh, they may have medical uh, documents like we talked about, but oftentimes they don't have. They don't have the HIPAA. They, don't, they uh, haven't reviewed who their agent is and don't have the right appointments. There are a lot of issues with those kind of things. So it's always good to have those kind of things reviewed and updated, and we would certainly encourage that. Yeah, and if you're interested in doing that, you can head over to WGALaw.com and find plenty of information there. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Got to remind you, seminars coming up this Wednesday at 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and 6.30 at Independence Village in Raleigh. Please register in advance at WGALaw.com. And don't forget to catch Money Secrets tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock on CW22. Bill, is there anything I'm leaving out before we head out for the day? Uh, Well, you're very kind, Jason, and I always enjoy being here. So I would just say come back next week. I tell you what, that's a plan. I'll be here, (laughs) Bill will be here, and we'll do this whole thing again. And we hope you will, too. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll see you next time on News Radio 680 WPTF. Yeah.